0: So the market clearly clearly is searching for a direction. It doesn't quite know what to do. And nobody, and certainly least of all me, knows what it's going to do on Monday. I mean, this could be, you know, today could have marked the beginning of the turnaround where it begins to just go up again. Or it could be what is charmingly called a dead cat bounce, where, you know, <laughs> Monday will open up and we'll be down even further. I mean, nobody, nobody really knows. And and that's kind of the, the most salient point is because we don't know there is nothing to be done. There is nothing to, to be gained by trying to dance in and out of the market, as, as Warren Buffett once said. You know, you, you buy the market and you hold and you're investing for the long term, and this volatility is to be expected. Every now and again, the market plunges. Every now and again, there are bear markets.
1: Hello, 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 and welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me, as always, is my steady, stay the course co host, Scott Trench. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, and show you that by following the proven steps, you can put yourself on the road to early financial freedom and get money out of the way so you can lead your best life.
2: That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, avoid panic selling in a recession. Go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate or start your own business will help you build a financial position capable of launching yourself towards your dreams
1: is episode number 116 featuring Jim Collins from jlcollinsnh.com. You may know him better as a previous guest on our show number 20. He's also the author of the famed stock series and the even more well-known book called The Simple Path to Wealth. Jim is here today to talk to us about the stock market, uh, the state of the stock market specifically.
2: Yeah, today Jim is going to talk about how to navigate this financial crash and his philosophy about long-term investing with the, you know, by staying the course in index fund investing. So, spoiler alert there, he's got great rationale for that. And I think it's a really important point. That's why we have really changed our, our podcast schedule to accommodate him and, and have him come on and, and give that advice to everybody. And then, after Jim is done, if you want to stick around and you own real estate, Mindy and I will talk about how to think about your long term real estate holdings in the context of this market dip this correction, whatever we want to call it, (laughs) the coronavirus caused market panic, right? So we're going to talk about that stuff. And then we'll invite you, if you have any questions, to join us on Facebook, email us, reach out. We know that we're giving advice of stay the course, invest for the long-term. We know that that's difficult. We know that that's going to be a challenge for a lot of you, but we want to be there and help you and make sure that we're helping you move towards your long-term goals.
1: Yep. We really want to help you out.
3: Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at DealMachine.com.
1: Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Take control of your investments and secure a stable 8% annual return today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com slash biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com slash biggerpockets. Jim Collins, Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I am very excited to have you back. You were here on episode 20 way back a couple of weeks ago. This is now episode 116 and I know you are a retired person and you've been retired for quite a while. I'm not sure if you've noticed because you've been traveling around the world and you know you are retired, the stock market has had a bit of action the last couple of days. Have you heard about this and what are your thoughts on this?
0: yeah actually actually even even that news has reached even me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, yes i I've heard about it it is it is uh, been a a volatile couple of weeks.
1: Volatile is a really great way to describe this market. This was the worst stock crash since October of 1987. Do you remember October of 1987? I do. Scott was negative three, but you and I (laughs) were around then. I was a sophomore in high school, and I still remember that day because the next day in the economics class, they talked about what a huge thing it was, and it was 508 points, and it was a 22% drop, and that's enormous, and oh my God, the sky is falling. So this stock market has actually not crashed 500 points. It's crashed more like 2,000 points. but. Because we have grown so much since 1987, this was only a 7% crash as opposed to the 22% crash in 1987. So why are people freaking out about this?
0: Well, people freak out whenever the market does something unexpected and whenever it drops. But your your point's well taken. Actually, 1987 was a much bigger drop than than anything we've seen in this one. So, for instance, today the market was up about 9%. Yesterday was down about 9%. But as you correctly point out, when the market dropped those 500 points, which seems kind of quaint today, <laughs> that represented a drop of 23%. I think the total market decline as of Thursday's drop came to 26 or 27% over a couple of weeks. And By the way, in 87, that one-day drop was not the only drop. Then it continued to to edge down for the next, I don't know, three, four months before it it turned around and began its relentless climb, once again, upwards, as the market always does.
1: Uh, And we'll do it
0: again this time.
1: Yeah, so um, Scott and I have a document that we chat back and forth with, and he said, wait, there's like a 10,000-point crash over the past two-ish weeks. And he's right. I was talking about, on Monday...
0: You're talking about the S&P 500.
1: I'm talking about, uh, yes, on Monday, they had to actually halt trading, which is not something that they did back in 1987. Um, And then they had to halt it again, what, Thursday? And we're recording this after the market has closed on Friday. But the last couple of weeks have been quite crazy. However, as you just said, the market dropped in 87 and then began its relentless climb as it always does, which I am quoting Jim Collins. I am not stating that officially, but he's right. Um.
0: <laughs> it's stated officially.
1: <laughs> so I am 100% agreeing with with Jim. If you sold on Monday, your holdings would have dropped. So the the market opened very poorly on Monday. If you sold on Monday, you would have realized losses, at some point, from your high at the very most, or at the very least. Um, and by holding onto them on Friday, you would have recouped a lot of those losses. Most market recoveries are not that fast. But today, we were up quite a bit. We were up almost 2,000 points. Mart- uh, Monday, they were down 2,000 points. I think in the middle, there was some more down.
0: Well, thurs- Thursday was was down. So today, Thursday. I think, as I say, today was up 8 or 9%, but it was roughly... Up today, the same amount it was down yesterday. So the market clearly, clearly is searching for a direction. It doesn't quite know what to do. And nobody, and certainly least of all me, knows what it's going to do on Monday. I mean, this could be, you know, today could have marked the beginning of the turnaround where it begins to just go up again, or it could be what is charmingly called a dead cat bounce where you know monday will open up and we'll be down even further i mean nobody nobody really knows and and that's kind of the the most salient point is because we don't know there is nothing to be done there is nothing to to be gained by trying to dance in and out of the market as as warren buffett once said you know, you you buy the market and you hold and you're investing for the long term. And this volatility is to be expected. Every now and again, the market plunges. Every now and again, there are bear markets. They are healthy things, actually. And it's, it's like getting getting all upset and panicked about it is like living in, in uh, Minnesota and being surprised that you get blizzards. I mean, it's part of winter. You know, it's just it's a natural part of the process. Now, every time what triggers the drop is different. And what's triggering this drop is is a disease. And of course, that's scary on a whole different level. But if it wasn't that, it eventually would have been something else. The only thing that surprises me is that this is really the first drop we've had since the big crash in 07-08. In in December of eighteen, right around Christmas, the market dropped twenty percent. But it turned around so quickly then that most of us don't even remember it. It was it was such a quick blip on the radar. But this one looks like it. it well, it's extended a few weeks, and my guess is it'll extend a few more. But that's only a guess.
2: So let, let me ask you this: I think I think one of the you know for for Maybe the three of us, right? We, we likely have a financial position that has some cash on hand, is very conservative, where we've self-educated quite a bit on this topic. and We're very comfortable, I think, with the realities of the market. Hey, I'm going to stay the course and continue index fund investing as I've always done and keep it in there and keep it in there for the very, very, very long term. But suppose that we're putting ourselves in the shoes of somebody who does not have a big emergency reserve, right? Or has very little cash and is afraid of losing their job. Right? What does that person need to be thinking about here in 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 terms of their long-term investing approach or maybe needing to access that money? How do we frame that as a problem for them?
0: well, I, th- I think the first thing is that th- those are considerations that that person should have been thinking about before now. Now, in the middle of a market crash is is not the time to try to to try to sort through the whether you should have an emergency fund, for instance or how much you should have allocated to stocks. That's something best done when the waters are calm and the markets are peaceful, not in the middle of a, of a turbulent storm. So that's a that's a whole different question. I would say to anybody, regardless of that situation, that that you need to buckle down and stay the course for now. And then, if you found yourself in the position you described, when things calm down, you probably want to reconsider and reallocate If you're in a situation where you have to have money to live on because you lost your job, well, then obviously you're going to, and you're fully invested in the stock market. First of all, you shouldn't be. But secondly, you're just going to have to draw down on those stocks when they are down. And obviously you want to draw as little as possible to meet the most basic needs and and give your portfolio a chance to recover. Got it.
1: Okay. So what does Jim Collins consider a good
0: emergency fund? I think that's 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 so variable, Mindy, um, that it's almost hard to hard to answer, and it it depends on your situation. So, for instance, I don't own a house. I don't even rent an apartment at this point. We are completely nomadic. So, you know, there's very little variation in our life that's suddenly going to. Come up. Uh, we just bought a new car, so I don't have to worry about car repairs. So my emergency, fa- you know, fund is almost nothing. I can tell by your expression, you know, we bought a new car, but I I've, can't believe
1: you bought a new car. That's I've, the worst thing you could possibly do. You're going to ruin your financial future. <laughs>
0: I've, I've written three posts on it, so you can you can check out why and and why I'm not worried about ruining my financial future. But in any event, so for us, I mean, uh, an emergency fund is 20 bucks in my wallet. If you own a house and the furnace might go out, well, you have a very different need or you might need a new roof or if you're driving an older car and it might need a new transmission. So those are all the the kind of variables. Ironically, uh, the less money you have, the less wealth you have, the poorer you are, the more you need that emergency fund.
2: I, I love that. So, so if, I, if I'm listening, and i am on my way but not quite there maybe not even halfway to financial independence you know i like to think that you that listener are actually have been preparing for a recession pretty aggressively over the past several years right you've got an emergency fund you've been ingress- investing for the long term most likely and you know preparing for early retirement i think in a lot of ways is just like preparing for a recession and to your point about the emergency reserve, you're right. The more wealth you have, the more stocks that you own, the less you have to have in cash right. because you can liquidate, or you, or, or you're, you're going to have higher dividend payments, or whatever. And so there's less need for that. Exactly,
0: You have more cash flow. You know, the higher your cash flow, the the less you need in in emergencies, and and you know, the simpler your life, the you know, the less things there are potentially to go wrong. So, yeah. So anyway, the point is that the more you're living, ironically enough, the more you're living paycheck to paycheck, the less resources you have. The more things you own, be it houses or cars or whatever, the bigger your emergency fund needs to be.
2: Love it. So you know, I I, I love how simple and easy the message is here. Right? Everyone is panicking. <laughs> the sky is falling around. But it's like it's like if you're getting sick, right? Or you to worry about your health, right? You mm-hmm. need to have a good diet. You need to exercise you need to sleep right you need to yeah, um, I, do, I need to
0: do all those things
2: <laughs> yeah, but you need to do all, these, all all these things and your risk of getting sick is low and your right. risk of having serious health complications is even lower if you track your spending spend very little control your big fixed expenses in particular by not buying the
1: doodads that you just mentioned right like a new car I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> so, but it, I do want. To- says the woman who used to drive an NSX. <laughs> yeah, but, but then,
2: then your risk of having financial consequences because of a recession are very low, and your risk of bankruptcy or needing to draw down meaningfully on your long-term portfolio is even lower. It's the same. I think it's the same analogy there. I'm, I'm David Green for the day.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And I, and I think you know people uh, when when the market drops as it as it's done recently and and they're dependent on it, they you know the fear takes over and and you lose sight of a couple of key things. the point that Mr. Money mustache made to me years ago, which i I never occurred to me, the total stock market index fund, which is what I favor, pays a dividend of about two percent if you're living on your portfolio and you're using the 4% guideline and you're pulling 4% of your portfolio, you don't even, not only when the market goes down, do you not have to sell all your stocks at a big loss, you don't even have to sell 4% of them a year because 2% of that's funded by the dividends. You just have to sell 2% of your holdings each year. And it's a very rare market decline that doesn't resolve itself within, say, five years most of them resolve themselves within a year, sometimes considerably less. So it's not the fluctuation in the paper value of your holdings only matters if you have the need to sell it all at once, or if you're silly enough to be driven by panic and sell it all at once, and then you lock in that loss. But if you're just selling a little bit, you need to live on, it's probably not going to affect you very much. And You just let the rest ride for when the market inevitably turns.
1: Wait, wait, wait! I'm hearing you say that you don't sell when the market drops significantly.
0: No, you you you, stay the course. You You, of course
1: you hold on
0: forever, (laughs) forever. Well, then why am I seeing (laughs) my holding period, Mindy, for VTSAX is literally forever, forever, and when I'm dead, it my heirs will hold it forever. And when they're dead, their heirs will hold it forever. And oh my God, only, you sound
1: like Warren Buffett.
0: <laughs> the only selling that's ever done is if you need to live on the portfolio, you'll take the 2% dividend that is throwing off, and then you'll pull another 2% in sale of shares and, and call it a day. And that, that's what allows you to ride out all of this volatility that the market periodically throws at us just to keep us on our toes.
1: Okay. So I'm seeing a lot of advice on the internet, which is, you know, I love and that you're Everything laughing. on the
0: internet true, Mindy. <laughs> that's so, a quote
1: from Abraham Lincoln.
0: I'll follow it all.
1: <laughs> so I'm here, I'm seeing things like I'm selling covered calls. And I'm like, why? Why would you do that? Unless you're a stockbroker. And then even then, maybe that's not the best time to be doing that. Or maybe it is the best time. I don't know. I, I, like to consider myself fairly well versed in money, and I don't I'm trying to think what is a covered call? I don't know enough to do that, so I'm not going to do that. I'm buying inverse ETFs. What are you doing, Jim?
0: I'm just holding my total stock market fund that I own. and the one the one thing I did, and i this is i I described this in my most recent post, which I put up a few days ago, is I noticed that as the market was dropping, it was dropping the value of my the shares that I was holding in my taxable account to the break, to a break even point. And that was interesting to me because sometime in the next five years, there's a possibility we might give up our nomadic life, buy a house and settle down. And I looked at that chunk of money as the the source of cash for that transaction if and when it happened. And I was also looking at the fact that I had a capital gain in it that I was going to have to give 20% of of to the government, the capital gains tax. But when it came down to to where that capital gain went away, which is a bad thing, of course, because it's lost money, but it created the opportunity to sell at a break-even point so there was no capital gain. And then I just took the equivalent amount of bonds in an IRA and switch them over to VTSAX, so my allocation didn't change at all. And that now freed up the capital and the taxable account to, you know, where I won't have to pay capital gain when it comes time to, to spend it, if that time comes.
1: If that time comes. And that is uh, detailed in your... Article called Taking Advantage of Mr. Bear, which we will include a link to in our show notes, which are at biggerpockets.com money show one one six. We have a lot of things in there that we're linking to today. Uh, a guided meditation for when the stock market is dropping.
0: Yeah. So that's, uh, that's a, a guided meditation I recorded at the suggestion of one of our Chautauqua attendees last year, and I recorded it last summer. And, um, you know, it got a modest number of views when I first put it up. (laughs) It might get a a few more. It's gotten a whole (laughs) lot more in the last couple of weeks. Yeah.
1: And we will also link to that in our show notes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Two other things you might link to in in the show notes is I have a post called Why You Should Not Be in the Stock Market. And I wrote that post two years ago in 2018 when things were calm because not everybody should be in the stock market. And right now this volatility is a great test of whether you should be in the stock market. If if it's keeping you up, if you're worried, if you're thinking, man, I need to sell before I get out, you should never have been in the market to begin with. So that's a post that might help people think it through. The other one is called Time Machine and the Future of, of Stocks. And that basically is interesting in this context because it looks back at the period between 1975 when I first began investing until, I don't know, 17, 18, whenever I wrote that post, and looks at all the traumatic things that happened in the world and to the market in that 40 plus period of time. A lot of them very much more dramatic than what's going on now. And yet, over that 40 years, the market posted just shy of a 12% return. And the point of that post is the market does not require perfect conditions to give great returns, but you do have to be willing to put up with the volatility. And all that means is you ignore it when it happens, stay the course and keep investing. If, if you're in the wealth accumulation stage and if you're in the wealth preservation stage and you have bonds, you might adjust your allocation. Take advantage of the of the lower of the sale on stocks.
2: I think it's fantastic. I, I have a couple of things to go back a couple of minutes ago. Right, you mentioned something called VTSAX. Right, VTSAX for those of you listening who are not familiar with with our, our terminology here is an index fund from Vanguard. It's a passively managed index fund. It's the total stock market index fund, and it's Mr. Collins' favorite fund. If I'm if I'm if I'm Remembering correctly, right? And then this, you know, the only difference between me and and Jim here is that I use VOO, which is a Vanguard S and P 500 U.S. based index fund. So a little terminology thing there. The second thing you mentioned is you're only going to lose in this market downturn if you have to sell your holdings, and only the only people who should be selling their holdings are people who are already retired who are selling two percent of their portfolio under the 4% rule, which we've talked about in previous podcasts as well. And that's the only people who are going to experience a loss of economic power over the very long term from this market crash. All the rest of us who are still working, still contributing, still investing over the long term are going to see no long-term dramatic impact from this drop-off. All we have to do is keep staying the course. For me, that's VOO. For you, that's VTSAX. For you, the listener, it's whichever long-term index fund uh, strategy you choose is that is that a good synopsis there,
0: Jim? Yeah, I think it's a very good synopsis. I'd add a couple of things, Scott. One is that uh, your VOO is a is an ETF, hmm. and the ETF version of VTSAX is VTI. Same yes. portfolio. And a question I get frequently yeah. is, you know, wow, I, I own VTI. Should I switch to VTSAX? Well, no, you own the same thing. It's in fact VTI, the ETF, is a slightly better choice these days simply because the expense ratio is slightly lower. Now, in terms of the difference between a VTSAX and the S&P 500 fund you own, that's another question I get a lot. You know, it's like, oh, my 401k only only offers an S&P 500 fund. I don't get, you know, I can't buy the total stock market. You know, what do I do? Well, they're so close that it doesn't matter. Both of those funds, whether it's an S&P 500 fund or the total stock market fund, over time will track very closely. They'll both serve you very well. At the end of the day, one will be higher than the other simply because that's the way of the world, but there's no predicting which that'll be. So you're, the fund you're in and, and anybody who's holding a similar fund, that's just fine. You know, People obsess over things they don't need to obsess over. You don't need to obsess over whether you're in the S and P 500 fund. You don't, as opposed to the total stock market fund. You don't have to obsess over whether you're in the fund version or the ETF version of those. You do have to obsess over whether you're in actively managed funds and paying exorbitant fees for lower performance, or index funds and low fees and better performance. That's where you want to spend your time.
1: So, my husband, that you both know comes to me the other day and he's like, did you see the market? And I'm like, no, what happened? I don't want to be sitting here saying what I'm doing is right, but what I'm doing is right. I don't pay (laughs) attention to the market. I, you know, I, I... I don't want to be bossy, but I'm bossy. So be like Mindy and don't pay attention to the market. He will ask me all the time, whenever there's a big swing, oh my God, did you see the market today? I'm like, no, what did it do? It's like, it was up so much or it was down so much. He is obsessed kind of a little too much with where the market is and what it's doing. I don't care. It is what it is. And me looking at it is not going to change the direction of the market. Jim, here's a little bit of trivia for you. You probably already know it. Who owns the best portfolios, the best performing portfolios? Over the very,
2: very, very long
0: term. Oh, you're, I think I think you're referring to dead people, right? Debt That's people. right. Yes, people <laughs> who
1: don't touch their portfolios have the right. best returns because they set it and forget it. Jim, when was the last time outside of this I read your article? So outside yes. of this, selling because you might buy a house and taking your bonds and doing that. When was the last time you sold uh, like a significant portion, not the whole? I'm living on it stuff.
0: Oh, never. <laughs> I mean, uh,
1: Jim Collins, the master of the stock market, says he never sells anything ever. Uh, okay, do well, you have a positive or negative net worth, Jim?
0: So, <laughs> so so far, so far it's positive. Let's let's see where the coronavirus takes us. Before you go further, though, Mindy, I want to I want to say that I agree with your approach, and in fact, of ignoring the market. And I I will I will I, will, I characterize it, and and I have in the past. That's a superpower. So I put it usually in context. I didn't realize that, that that was your approach. But my daughter, who is the sole reason I wrote the blog or the book or any of that stuff, is, has zero interest in, in this stuff other than she recognizes it's important and she needs to get a couple of things right. And that lack of interest means that she's not going to be paying to paying attention to the market. That means she's not going to be freaked out when it goes down. That means she's not going to be tempted into doing something stupid like panic selling or tinkering with it. And she that's a superpower. She will do better than the vast majority of my readers. I have readers who are like you and who are like my daughter, Jessica. And I have readers who are, read my stuff because they're just really into the market. And they're forever saying, well, Jim, what if you did this? And what if we did this? And what if we adjusted here? And those are the people who can't resist tinkering. And I can almost guarantee that you and Jessica will outperform them over time through your benign neglect. <laughs> 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 I-, I love it.
4: We know you've heard it before. Cash flow is getting very hard to find. There's always long distance investing, but you may be thinking I don't have a team, enough experience, or the market knowledge to get in. investing when you have the right team and systems already in place. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777.
5: Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. So whether you've got a single family, short term or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment free quote tailored to your
1: needs today. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software and more. So, why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems. Because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash BP Money. That's netsuite.com/slash BP Money. NetSweet.com slash BP Money.
2: So I'm getting a lot of questions right now from people who are, are looking at the market and they are well prepared. They do have a reserve. They've been saving up. They've been worried about a recession. And now the market drop has come. It's dropped 25% in two or three weeks. And they're wondering: Should I buy airline stocks, which have been particularly hit hard? Should I buy cruise lines, which you know one of the cruise lines is down eighty percent? Should I buy events businesses now that events are being canceled? Those people are wondering: Can I take some of my excess cash and invest it appropriately? What's the advice for someone in that situation?
0: Well, first of all, I'm not a I'm not a stock picker, and and I believe that stock picking is a substandard way to approach your investments over overall. Now, I say that, by the way, as somebody who achieved financial independence, picking individual stocks and picking actively managed funds that were run by people picking stocks. So to be clear, it doesn't mean that you can't make money doing it. It just means that you're going to spend a whole lot more time and effort and probably not do as well as the index. The research is categorically shows that the index outperforms stock picking. Now, having said that, I, I would say if you have extra money now, I would be putting it into the market. and But I'd be in those broad-based index funds that we talked about. And they will include the cruise ships and the airlines and all those, all those others. But if somebody can't resist picking stocks, then picking deeply out of favor categories when, uh, as the saying goes, blood is in the street, there are worse things to do.
2: Yeah, I recently got this question from somebody. And, and my answer was, let's say you have $10,000, right? Excess cash sitting around and you're, you've are you been waiting for this moment. You're ready to deploy it. Put 8,500 of it into an index fund. You can put it in all at once today. You can dollar cost average it, put in a couple hundred bucks every day for the next month if you're worried, and then take the last 1,500 bucks and go have fun. It's gambling. You're at the casino. That's what will keep you interested. Enjoy. What do you think about that? Am I Am I wrong with that or...
0: I, d- I disagree entirely.
2: All right. <laughs> Perfect.
0: <laughs> you know, I've, I've always got, I, I, I've always kind of cringed at this idea mm-hmm. that you just described, which is basically put the bulk of your money in good investments, index funds, and then take some to play with. Investing is not play money, at least not my world. I mean, investing is is serious money. So I don't play with any of my investment money. If If I want to play, then I, I, have, I have money, you know, for recreation and what have you. I'm not a gambler, but if I was so inclined and want to take some money and go to Las Vegas and, and, and blow it, which I have done, you, you know. So, I mean, that's, that's fine. But in terms of your investments should be your investments. And you shouldn't look for entertainment and fun from your investments. You should look for wealth building from your investments. You look for your entertainment and fun elsewhere.
2: I like your advice better than mine.
0: (laughs) (laughs)
1: Okay, so I want to ask... Most
0: people will follow yours, though, Scott.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I want to answer your question, Scott, and say, yes, you should invest in the cruise ships and the, the airplanes and all of that. And you do that by buying an index fund. You take all that money and you put it in the index fund. But Jim said it before... I could say it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you get the advantage of all those things.
1: Okay, so on that same line, because I have also been getting lots of emails, I'm seeing people that are freaking out. Like Scott just said, my accounts are down and I was planning on retiring next year or in two years. What do I do? I would say stay the course. But what does Jim say?
0: Well, I would say the same thing. I'd say stay the course. You know, it's it's interesting, the, the post that I put up most recently um, about taking advantage of the bear, which was actually a simple little post just about this particular tax move that the declining market afforded me. Uh, but in the comments there, there's a variety. There's people who sort of get it and who obviously have paid attention to my writings in the past. And then there are other people who are... Are well, the market's declining, and I think it's going to go down further. So, should I cash out now and save my principal? And well, first of all, you have no clue as to whether the market's going to go down further because nobody knows what it's going to do. It might, it might not. Uh, but that's market timing. And if you read, and these are usually comments that are prefaced by the way, Jim, I've read all your stuff, and I'm actually absolutely on board. You're <laughs> the right one, but. The market's going down, I think it's going to go down further. (laughs) Clearly, you either haven't read my stuff, you haven't understood it, or whatever. So that's market timing. And if you really think the market's going down further, and then yes, obviously you should sell all your stuff. If I was convinced that the market was going down further from now... There, that's obviously I would sell all my stuff. And then if I was convinced I knew when it was finally hitting the bottom, I would put all my money back in.
1: Oh, tell me when it's hitting the bottom.
0: But my problem is I can't do that. And the other problem is nobody can do that. Now the question becomes, how do I know that nobody on the planet can do that? I mean, how does, how does Jim Collins know that all of the people, all the seven plus billion people, and all those people that nobody can time the market the way I just described? Here's how. Because anybody who had that ability would be 10 times or more richer than Warren Buffett and far more lionized. Name that person for me. There would be no power, investing power more powerful than actually being able to time the market. Not the phony claims that you see on all the TV shows of people who tell you they can do it. If somebody could actually do that, they, they rapidly own all the money in the world.
2: There's a real piece of work on my Facebook feed who claims that he saw this coming in the early part of the coronavirus thing, and if you just listen to me in solo you position that person that that trumpeter of that there's always one of them at every crash, and they're always parroting a crash that's a few months a few quarters or twelve to eighteen months is my favorite timeline. The crash is always twelve to eighteen months away, according to the pundits, no matter when no matter what time of the, the market that you're in. And, you know, you're right. Nobody can time the market there.
0: Well, you um, know, Scott, if, if if I can jump in on that, there, there's, a there's in going back to 1987, which we talked about earlier in the interview, there was a woman at the end, that crash in 87 happened in October, as I recall. And there was a woman by the name of Elaine Garzarelli, who was a stock analyst on Wall Street, young woman. And she predicted the crash almost to the day, like in August, and she was lionized for that i mean and it was documented you know she was on record as having having said this so it was verifiable that she wasn't doing it after the fact like some people try to do and she was lionized and she rapidly had her own firm and she could never repeat the performance because she got lucky what people need to understand is that at any given time there are so many people in the in the stock market, in Wall Street, and they are predicting anything the market can possibly do. Somebody is predicting it. And therefore, somebody, and maybe a collection of somebody's, is going to be right. Does that mean they have predictive powers? No. That just means if there's somebody predicting everything, somebody has to be right. It's like the lottery. When you see somebody win Powerball, you don't sit back and say, wow, Scott won Powerball. He must know how to pick winning lottery numbers. No, you recognize the reality. Scott won the Powerball. He just got really lucky. That's all it is. It's luck. It's not seeing the future. Show me the person who can do it repeatedly, and now I'll pay attention. And unfortunately for Elaine, she got lucky one time and couldn't do it repeatedly.
1: Okay, I predict on Monday the market is going to... Go up, and I predict on Monday the market is going to go down. One of those is going to be right. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, it, it's possible both could be wrong. It could flat. It it could just be flat. <laughs> on oh my
1: goodness! Okay, yeah. I predict the market is going to be flat on Monday.
0: <laughs>
1: Boom! Covered all my bases.
2: Yeah. Well, Jim,
0: I got I got a question for you. We here. have three of us. We could each take one of those predictions. <laughs> one of us will be right, and then we could say, "See, see." This JL Collins guy he don't know what he's talking about. It's not that hard to predict the market. I, I did it on Friday.
2: <laughs> I, I got a question for you. So, so you know, our our audience, people listen to the show, I think, are typically in their twenties, thirties, and forties, and they're either working towards early retirement, maybe a couple of them have. Cross the hurdle and are early retire, But I think most people are still working towards that in it for the long run. But suppose that you're in your late 50s or early 60s. You've got a uh, million dollars in the portfolio and you're planning to retire in a couple of years. But now the market's hit and you're worried you're going to lose your job. right? And the market's down 25%. How should that person be thinking about their overall financial position and navigating the, the challenges that may come with, with a recession with the market going forward?
0: Well, so first of all, let's take your first group first and talk about them, and then we'll talk about the second group. So for those younger people out there who are still working, still building their wealth, this drop and any drop is a gift. Because if you're following my plan, my path, basically you have a high savings rate and you are putting as much as you can, whenever you can, into a broad-based stock index fund like BTSAX market drops are your friend because that amount of money you put in every week or every month or whatever is now buying more shares the best thing that can happen to you as you're accumulating your wealth is for the market to take a nice big plunge and stay down for a long time so you can buy those shares at a discount because that cash flow from your income is what smooths out the ride and allows you to take advantage of mr market when he goes down now for that older person you were talking about, and that, by the way, includes me, when you don't have earned income anymore, then you need something else to smooth the ride, and that's something else is bonds. So you don't protect yourself from market volatility by trying to figure out how to time it, which so many people seem to think they need to do. You protect it either having that cash flow from your earned income or by your allocation, which includes bonds. And then when the market drops, and your stock value of your stocks go down the percentage they represent will also go down and you'll be shifting money from the bonds to bring it back up to your set allocation and that's how you take advantage of it, of it then in terms of somebody worried about losing their job that's kind of a whole different question mm-hmm. so if you're worried about losing your job and you're near retirement you should be more conservative with your investing, you probably should be adding those bonds now. If you feel very secure in your job until the moment you retire, then I was I was 100%, personally 100% stocks right until the moment I pulled the trigger and quit my job. And that, and only then did I add bonds. But again, that's a matter of personal preference too. I have a pretty high risk tolerance. A lot of people, even if they're secure in their jobs, say, I want to begin transitioning to bonds 5 years out or whatever and that's that's fine.
2: Fantastic response. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you to explain bonds but then you just did, so never mind. <laughs> I am not super excited about bonds because they don't have a an aggressive growth rate typically. They have a non-aggressive lose money rate which is really nice on a day like Thursday, but again, I can't time the market. I would love to know when the market's going to crash so if anybody wants to pull that 1987 lady, and tell me when the market's going to crash and guarantee it. You got to guarantee it. I would like to pull my money out the day before and then buy it back again the next day.
0: You so, know, if anybody steps forward and tells you they, they can do that for you, Mindy, <laughs> I, I would, I would, I would shut down the microphone and close my ears. And...
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't. You know what? I'm just not selling. And I'm also not paying attention to it. And maybe if you're freaking out about the stock market, maybe you just close up the browsers and look at things that aren't talking about the stock market. Look at Pinterest. Pinterest will give you lots of great recipes and funny things. And you don't have to worry about stock market. Not a lot of stock market conversation on Pinterest, which is, you know, kind of nice. Before we get too far away from talking about the market and, and quoting Jim, the market always goes up eventually. I would like to point out there is a there's a website. it's macrotrends.net. I will include a link to this particular chart in our show notes. It's a really helpful chart to see the historical annual data on the stock market. There are 105 years and I was thinking about this. Do you know when the stock market started? because this this chart starts in 1915
0: well, well the very the very first stock market was in um, uh, in the netherlands in holland in like the 1500s oh. it was very small but you're talking about the dow if you're talking about the dow jones the dow. industrial average i i want to say it was 1890 something okay uh, there were 18 stocks that began. I actually I actually talk about that in the st- one of the early posts in the stock series. Okay. Where I, I actually have the actual numbers, but yeah, we've got a pretty long history of it.
1: We have a long recorded history of it starting in 1915 on this link that I will share in the show notes. In 1915, the stock market closed up 81%. Uh, it started off at 74% and went to 99%. Percentage-wise, that was great. That's like twenty-five dollars. So but in nineteen fifteen dollars, that's a lot. But if you scroll through this, I was writing an article for the Bigger Pockets blog and I was scrolling through this in like a positive year is a green number and a negative year is a a red number. And I'm scrolling through, I'm like, there's a lot of green. Oh, there's a red, lots of green, a red, lots of green, a red. There's a lot of up years and only a few down years. And I looked, there's in 105 years, there's 35 down years. And a lot of those years are single digit downs. Like 2015 was down 2.2%. There's some bigger down years. I don't really want to
0: well, on, on average, the you know the market goes down one out of every four years. So 25% of the time, roughly. And that, of course, means 75% of the time it's, it's going up. So the winning bet is that it's going to go up. And there's lots of reasons for that, not the least of which is that the market is not little bits of paper or little bits of data that are traded, although it is that. But when you own the total stock market index fund, you own a piece of every publicly traded company in the United States. You own the economic power of the United States. And everybody in those companies from the factory floor to the CEO is working to make you richer and to beat the competition. And you don't have to worry about which ones are going to fail. Some of them will because you own them all. And the ones that fail just fall off the index, and the most they can possibly lose is 100%. The ones that succeed, there's no limit to how high they can go. So it is a winning formula. The market, the index funds that we describe are what I've a term that I'm very proud of that I coined are self cleansing because the losers fall off. The new companies that, that get started and build up and are, are get at it. And the companies that that succeed are are left to run as far as they can possibly run, you know, Jim,
1: I really can't top that. I can't top that at all.
0: you know i I'm thinking about a couple of different different last things that I points that I want to make, um if you'll indulge me
1: of course we've
0: we've talked a couple of times about my now somewhat famous line that the market always goes up. And that, of everything I've written, I think that's gotten the most pushback. And, you know, I've had people say things like, well, you know, at some point the sun's going to expand into a red giant and engulf the earth and burn it to a cinder. How will the market do then? Well, yeah, then then the market's not going to recover. There there are, you have to understand, there are, when I say the market's always going to go up, contingent on the United States continuing as a viable economic country. And if something were to happen that derailed that, then yes, the market's not gonna recover. So let's take a look at the coronavirus as an example. The only thing, the only way that the market's not gonna go up at some point after this has run its course is if in fact the coronavirus turns out to be the next plague, the next black death and kills 60% of humanity. Now, if you think that's gonna happen, then invest the market's not gonna recover from that. It's not gonna go back up again. And you shouldn't be invested in the market. Now, I for one can't think of any investment. Your house isn't gonna be worth anything then. Your investment properties aren't gonna be worth anything. Nobody's gonna care about gold. You know, and, paper. Yeah, toilet, to say, toilet paper. Yeah I was gonna say toilet <laughs> paper. Yeah, guns and ammunition. <laughs> and I know people I have friends, by the way, who who believe that that civilization is gonna end and and they are out building off-the-grid houses in, in in remote areas. And so if that's your belief system, you certainly don't want to follow the path that I outline. But if you don't believe that, if you believe that the U.S. is going to continue as a viable country, a viable economy, then the market will always go up. If you believe that this disease will, this coronavirus will be solved and controlled at some point, then the market will go back up. And I think before we scare everybody with my black death analogy, it's important to realize that back in the thirteen, fourteen hundreds, they had no concept of the germ theory of disease, and they had very little concept of medical attention uh, or even basic sanitation. So the idea that something of that nature happening are, are a whole lot more more remote than they are uh, than they were back then.
1: Yeah, when did they discover okay. you had to wash your hands between patients? Like that right there saved a lot of uh, transmission, right? Of, and that was like what the twenties or the thirties. I mean, that was yeah, it was. Really it, I don't remember
0: exactly, Mindy, but but disturbingly recent. Yeah, you know, they used to yeah. surgeons used to cut people open without bothering to clean their hands between surgeries. You know? Yeah, that's gross. They never, um, but it, they just they didn't know.
1: Yeah, you had a tweet the other day that I thought was just so brilliant, and then I read your Mr. Bear thing, and I realized that it was straight from the article. But you said, this time is different, right? This market crash is different. And you're like, nope. Every market crash feels like this time is different. And someday, if it truly is, then nothing will matter. And that is, you know, that's so true this market crash is not any different just like you said it it well i mean it might be like maybe in all the rest of the countries the covid 19 mortality rate is between 2 to 4% ish which is what they are currently quoting but maybe in america it's going to be 80% probably not what are the odds that every other country in the world is going to be more immune than america is
0: well and, and if it is 80% then it won't matter whether you're invested in stocks or not invested in stocks. I mean, nope. it's, it just, it's so. The well, you'll have a very knowledge. good performing
2: portfolio because you'll be dead.
0: Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the, the other illustration I use is, is, and you guys and most of your listeners are way too young to remember this other than history books, but I'm old enough that I, I was alive. I was very young, but I was alive in 1963 during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And that's when we came right to the brink of all-out nuclear war, the U.S. and the the Soviet Union hurling nuclear missiles at each other. That certainly would have been the end of both those countries. There's an argument with the fallout, it would have been the end of civilizations across the planet. What a wonderful time to buy stocks. Because if the nuclear war happened, it doesn't matter. If the nuclear war doesn't happen, And of course, we know from history it didn't, then you have this incredible growth of of stocks from nineteen sixty-three until now. I mean, just incredible wealth created over that period of time. So it's the same thing now. If if the coronavirus kills eighty percent of us, doesn't matter what you're invested in. If it doesn't, then stocks are going to continue to do very well. What a great time to buy. What a great time to buy. And 20 years from now, it'll, it'll be worth far more than it is today.
1: I
2: Wonderful. Have... I love the way your mind works on this stuff.
0: <laughs> not, everybody, not everybody agrees with you, Scott.
1: <laughs> what are you talking about, Scott? I love the way your mind works. Don't ever sell.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, I know Jim to be a very, very intelligent man, but that is not one of those, oh, it took me a lot of time to come up with this idea. Don't sell. The end.
2: But the, but the the arguments, the amount of the amount of arguments and pushbacks, and the models that you've developed, Jim, to combat all of those arguments against it, I think is what really makes you such a special contributor to the financial independence community. Uh, with your and with your book, The Simple Path to Wealth, those, those are, that's that's what I think is really the unique about you and your perspective, and why we're so grateful to have you on the show today here in the, this time when everyone's freaking out about the market.
0: Well, the other advantage that I have, Scott, is that if I'm wrong, we'll all be dead. And nobody can hold me to account. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and if I'm, if we're not all dead, then I will have been right.
1: Frankly, <laughs> I think all these people that are arguing with you just want to argue with you on the off chance that they can prove you wrong. I proved Jim wrong. <laughs> Jim doesn't care.
0: No, I. You know, I mean, I, I kind of don't. <laughs> I, <laughs> if you want to go
1: ahead and prove him wrong, you're not going to because he's not wrong. I mean
0: well, I've got you know, I you know Minnie along along those same lines I do uh I, I used to and I, I got so many of these I finally put it in the disclaimers of how I feel about it. But here's a link to this article and, and written by so-and-so, and this person disagrees with you. Tell me why you're right and they're wrong. Well, no, I'm not gonna <laughs> do that. I'm not gonna spend my time doing that. I have, I've written a book, and I've written a blog, and in those two things, I've expressed my ideas as clearly as I know how. And I presume that this person whose article you link to has done the same. Presumably, they have expressed their ideas as clearly as they know how. You can read both, and you decide. I don't care. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't make any difference to me if you think that person's ideas are better than mine. Then go for it. I me. I've only ever tried to convince one person, and that's my daughter. And finally, I succeeded. And so my mission is done. <laughs> and if anybody else thinks what I have to say is worthwhile and they want to come along for the ride and it and it enriches them, then I think that's wonderful, and I'm delighted by it. But for those who don't, I, I mean. God speed. I don't care. Go do whatever you want to do. You know, I mean it's, it's if you want to keep buying individual stocks, then buy individual stocks. It 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 just makes a better market. It, it, in fact, the fewer people who follow my path, the better off I am personally. <laughs> you know? So if you want to go pick individual stocks, if you want to sell your stocks in a panic and drive the market down so I can buy it cheaper, you go for it. Yeah, yeah it's all right with me. <laughs> Okay, so
1: Jim says you note. should probably <laughs> you should stay the course, but if you don't want to, do what you want. Yeah,
0: do. What okay. You do you. You do You do you. you.
1: Yep. There you go. You do you with yeah. Jim Collins from yeah. Jail Collins NH. Okay, Jim, we have a segment at the end of every show called The Famous 4, but it really doesn't apply because we've already heard your personal story. Uh where we ask your your favorite right. book and all of those things. So we're going to switch it up just a bit. And say, what is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out investing?
4: Oh,
0: I, I mean, I think it's the, the same all the time. You want to you wanna spend less than you make and use that surplus to pay off debt if you have debt and get rid of the debt. And if you don't have debt or once the debt's gone, then use that surplus to invest. And my favorite investment uh, vehicle is BTSAX or BTI. Mm-hmm. Uh, through Vanguard and put as much as you can in it whenever you can. Don't pay any, don't try to time it. Don't try to say, I'm going to wait till it's lower or, you know, just put as much in as, as you can whenever you can and keep doing it over time. And you'll take advantage of the drops when they happen and you'll be there for the, for the rise as that happens. And, you know, Christy Shen uh, of Millennial Revolution. Uh, has a great line that I'm probably not going to quote exactly, but it's something effective. the effect of, you know, it's never a good time to buy stocks. Either they're too expensive because the market's going down, or the market's dropping and and they're losing value. So it's never there's never an ideal time to buy stocks. You know, it's always before this crash. People were, you know, I I can't buy now because it's going up, and now. I can't buy because it's going down and nobody knows just like nobody knew how high it was going to go before. Nobody knows how low it's going to go. But you just keep buying. Don't pay attention. Just keep buying. Be like Mindy. Don't Be pay like attention Mindy. To it. Ignore it. Ignore it. Yeah, other yes. than putting the money in. And yes. then they invest it forever and just draw out the little bit you need when the time comes to live on. Job done. Love it. Well, I,
2: and I know we can find this as well on, on the, um, at uh, the show notes for episode twenty at biggerpockets.com slash money show twenty. But where can people find out more about you? Let's let's hear that one more time for people who are listening to this episode.
0: Well, the I'm I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook, but the big one is the blog, of course, which is jlcollinsnh. Stands for New Hampshire, where I was living when I started the blog. So JLCollinsNH.com. dot com.
2: Love it, and you can also find his book, The Simple Path to Wealth, on Amazon, and that's constantly quoted as one of the favorite books by guests uh, on the Bigger Pockets Money Show. So I'm sure, sure you've heard that mentioned if you listen to a variety of episodes. But one of the premier, one of the one of the the, the key books to read in the financial independence sphere. So definitely check that out if you haven't yet.
0: Free plug for you, hey there, Jim. <laughs> I appreciate that, and I and I'm delighted to hear that it, it gets such positive comment from your listeners.
2: Yeah, and as a forward from uh, the, the one and only Mr. Money Mustache as well, I believe, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And he did a great job on it. I love I love the forward he wrote.
1: Okay, Jim, thank you so much for taking the time today to share your groundbreaking advice of don't sell
3: unless <laughs> don't you want to. I'm, I'm <laughs> groundbreaking
0: advice of do nothing. Yeah.
1: But you know what? I think sometimes it's really reassuring to have people hear it from somebody. Not everybody can just send you an email or call you up and be like, "Hey Jim, you want to chat for an hour about the stock market?"
0: Yeah, please don't please don't call him. Jim's phone number is.
2: (laughs) Jim is open to debates. Just call him and debate him. He he (laughs) thrives on that kind of stuff.
1: He really likes 2 a.m. phone calls at (laughs) 1-800-callmeanytime.com. Because usually at
0: 2 a.m., I'm up worried about the stock market. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Where can I get more money to throw at it? It's dropping. Okay. But no, I really do appreciate this. I really think that a lot of people are going to send us emails and you too saying, you know what? It was so helpful to hear this.
0: Well, good. And I'm honored that you would ask to ask. And it's always, always fun hanging out with you guys and and kicking these things around. It's, I always have a good time. So thank you.
1: Well, great. Okay. Well, thank you so much and have a lovely day and we'll talk to you soon. Hopefully we'll talk to you in like six months when the stock market is just crashing through the roof or I'm sorry, going through the roof. So it's so high, not, not crashing. I guess that's the wrong word. (laughs) Okay. Okay. We'll talk to you later, Jim. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, Scott, that was Jim Collins from JL Collins NH, the author of The Simple Path to Wealth. What did you think of today's show?
2: You know, I, I'm glad we brought him on there instead of us talking about it because he he had much better advice than what even what you or I have, even though it's it's very similar, right? We're all doing the same thing, all three of us. We're staying the course, we're not selling any of our investments, and we're continuing to put our excess cash into the stock market, right? Magic you know, crazy formula there. And again, we're protected because we've made long-term good, uh, smart financial decisions of spending less than we earn, building up a reserve that's appropriate relative to our financial positions. I loved his thought process on how you need less of that as your financial position accelerates and uh, just continuing to do what we've always done because it's recession-proof and thinking over the very long term anyways.
1: Well, and you know, over the very long term, I think is a really great point. I am not in the stock market so that I can cash out tomorrow. I am older than you, but I'm not 65. So I don't want to take my stocks out until I need them. I have a job that pays my living expenses right now. I don't need to access my stock market funds. So when the market goes down... I just regret that I don't have more cash on hand to throw into the market at that time.
2: Yeah. I I I, I, I. Agree completely. You know, and we talked about what happens if you are closer to 65, and that's why you move your allocation more towards bonds as you get closer to traditional retirement age, right? Um, Let's talk up quickly about real estate, however, because I know a lot of the folks that listen to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast also own rental properties, right? And when I think about rental properties, I try to apply exactly the same philosophy we just discussed today to my rental property investment. I'm investing for the long term. I believe that over a very long period of time, my rental properties are going to appreciate in value and my cash flow is going to grow as rents rise with inflation, right? Expenses obviously also increase with inflation, but mathematically that translates to greater and greater cash flow growth over the very long term as well, right? The difference with rental properties and stocks In this context, maybe it isn't even a difference, but one of the, one of the potential problems that an investor will have, will will run into is you've got capital expenditures and you've got vacancies to deal with and potentially reductions in rents. So the problem, the fear. That I know a lot of real estate investors will have. If we are in fact entering recession, we may all we may look silly if this isn't even a recession. It bounces back, or we'll look like geniuses, Uh, one of those two. Um, (laughs) But you know, you know, the fear that an investor has in that environment is, hey, is my cash flow going to evaporate, and what am I going to do to sustain this property, right? And that is why when we invest in real estate, we invest with a reserve, right? When I buy, when you buy your first property, I always say the same thing: bring your down payment. Bring your closing costs, bring expected repairs, and bring ten to fifteen thousand dollars in cash reserve that you're going to set aside, uh, or more if you're buying much larger property that's larger than the average. But buy Bring an appropriate reserve and consider that part of your investments, right? And for me, I only take cash out of my rental portfolio if I if it, if I'm dumping money into my bank account that's in excess of that reserve. So let's say my reserve needs to be thirty five thousand dollars across my portfolio right? When I have $36,000 in my, in my account because of my cash flow, that's when I'll begin taking a distribution. Make sense? And that yeah. allows me to stay in the market forever. I never have to sell. I can sell. I can refinance. I can buy more. But I, I, I am trying to apply the exact same long, long-term long philosophy. And just like Jim said, if this virus kills off so much of the population that there's a, a panic you know, an oversupply and under demand of the population, we've all got bigger fish to fry and you shouldn't be in real estate if you're afraid of that reality, right? But in, in most, I think, what I'll use the word, reasonable scenarios that we can come up with, you know, I I I believe that my approach long-term to investing in real estate in parallel with my index fund investments will, uh, will, will be a, a strong bet and I'm going to capitalize appropriately for that.
1: You know, Scott, I've said this a bunch before and I'm going to say it again. The whole reason we started this podcast is because the number one question that we would get in the forums is how do I start investing in real estate with no money and bad credit? And the answer is you don't. Let's fix your no money and bad credit situation. So if you have no money, you should also not be in the real estate market, at this time. You can be learning, you can be saving. If you've got debt, you should be paying that off. Or as we heard on Craig Kurlap's episode 35, you can use that to your advantage by saving and then investing and using that to pay it off. Craig says it way better. Listen to his episode if you haven't yet. But if you don't have a healthy reserve account, you should not be purchasing properties where you are providing housing for other people. That said, there are times that you'll have to dip into your reserve, and that's fine. That's what it is there for. But you need to have a healthy reserve. And I love Brandon Turner, but I don't agree with him with his whole how to buy real estate with no money. Well, it, maybe it's none of your money, but you need to have something that you can pull from. Right now, COVID is an issue. They're closing schools. They're closing locally. They've closed the rec center and the library and all these things—they closed the NBA. They closed Mount Everest. All these things are going to have ripple effects. What happens if your otherwise great tenant loses their job? They work at the NBA arena near you, and now they can't pay their bills because they're not getting paid. Are you going to kick them out? Who is who's going to come and live there? Uh,
2: yeah, uh, you know, I, I I think I think what what you know. With this, we we Mindy, Mindy and I are extremely passionate about helping you guys succeed financially over the long term. And we know we we hope that through this show that you've learned some great habits and great ways to deal with money. Uh, and if you're new to this show, maybe you're starting off in in a, in a little bit tougher of a position. If you have worries, find us on the Facebook group at Bigger Pockets Money. Right, reach out to us on Bigger Pockets. Email us. Right, we are here to help. And and for, for I want to make sure that if this is a recession if this is a painful problem for people that we are personally privately as individuals there to help you if you have questions or the the group is there for you the Facebook group Bigger Pockets forums right this is where we want to be helpful and where we want to be useful it's all free we want you to succeed and and have a successful financial outcome stay the course continue that journey to financial freedom. Um, so please use every all the resources we have and know that if you're starting out now in a rough position and we do go into recession, you're going to be in for a slog, but we're still there to help, even if that's the case.
1: Yeah. And like you said, Scott, you said on the uh, the Facebook group, that's filled with almost 3,000 people who are doing it just like you. They have questions, they have answers, to your questions. They've been there before and can tell you what worked for them. Or they can even just say, hey, I hear you and I'm sorry you're going through this. It's filled with people who are on the same journey in various different spaces. And it's it's really been a great group. So far in the show notes today, which is biggerpockets.com slash money show one one six. There's links to my email, Mindy at BiggerPockets.com and Scott's email, Scott at BiggerPockets.com, the Facebook group, all the things we talked about on the show today with Jim. And you know, I I we did kind of make light of the situation. Oh, just don't sell. Um, and, but you know, I can say that because I've been through several crashes. This is Scott's first crash, and he's still saying stay the course. And if it was worth it to you to buy the thing at X dollars three weeks ago, it should be even more worth it to you to buy it now at its current lower price. So individual stocks, index funds are the preferred method for almost everybody we've ever talked to, but even rental properties. I've had lots of people sending me notes, hey, is now a good time to buy? Well- What does your local market look like? We're in Denver. Denver Denver's a pretty hot market. Denver has been on a tear for what ten years, Scott? Yep. If I had an opportunity to buy a property that was a good deal three weeks ago, I would continue to go through the property or through the process and close on the property because it's going to be a good deal to me. Is the value going to go down? I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball and I can't tell. But in our market, it's so hot, I can't imagine that it would stay down for a long time.
2: so right. Is now a good time to buy? Is now a good time to sell? Now is a great time to consistently, but not too aggressively, work towards your long-term investing and financial goals. Now is a great time to not spend more than you earn to continue to keep control of your budget and to continue to work very hard at your job and continue to pile up that cash and invest it appropriately in index funds, real estate, or whatever it is that you decide to invest it in.
1: Now is a great time to end because I cannot top that at all.
2: (laughs) All right. what should we get out of here?
1: We should. From episode 116 of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, he is Scott Tranch and I am Mindy Jensen, and we are encouraging you to stay the course.